Getting Started in Astronomy on episode 397 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for everybody who likes going out under the stars. So it's been a while since you and I got started in astronomy, uh, hasn't it been, Shane? Yeah, I think we're two decades into this thing, uh, roughly, you know, at least roughly. like, yeah. um, for me anyway, like having my first real telescope, the eight inch, uh, Newtonian, I think I purchased that 21 years ago. So mm -hmm. that's sort of my mark on the calendar. How about you? Yeah. I mean, you know, and I, I think I got just a few more years on you. So yeah, getting, uh, getting up there as well, but that that means that oftentimes when people are listening to the show, they might be more of a newcomer to astronomy, and it's been a long time since you and I started. So um, joining us today is Alejandro E. Hernandez Pedilla, and he also goes by Nanu. And uh, uh, we're gonna—I'm just gonna read a brief introduction, and then we'll uh, we'll get started. So Alejandro is an editor and a copywriter. Uh, with journalistic and marketing backgrounds. He's also a musician, composer, performer, storyteller. He's bilingual in English and Spanish. He is a translator and a voiceover talent, but uh, most listeners uh, are going to enjoy him talking about his amateur astronomy journey. And uh, he's living in Florida, raising a young family. And I'll just say welcome to the show, Alejandro. It's great to have you with us this morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's great to be here with you guys. Yeah, good stuff. So how's your, we were talking about it briefly, but uh, how's the weather in Florida this morning? This morning, it's actually cloudy and it started to rain, but uh, temperature-wise, it's around 72 degrees Fahrenheit, which is around 23, 22 Celsius, which is, it's, it's, it's nice out. Um, that would, yeah. that would certainly be nice here. We are, we are, I was saying we were warmer than average. We are at positive one degree Celsius. I feel like either my thermometer's broken or something, Shane, but I think we've been stuck there for a couple days now almost. Yeah. And we're getting rain today as well, which is very abnormal for February in Saskatchewan. <laughs> that would normally be a lot of snow. <laughs> so Alejandro, we've been chatting over email for about a year now. You've, you've uh, been a listener, you were saying, and listening to some of the shows. So uh, it's always a real pleasure when we get an email from you especially during the winter time when it's been so cold because you'll you'll have a shot and the palm trees will be in the background and and we can see the greenery of your of your yard and my yard is either covered in snow or dead leaves and it's always uh, really nice to get those photos so thank you so much for always reaching out and sharing those with us especially during the colder months <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome uh thank you guys for 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 being so you know open and friendly and uh for getting back to me and, you know, keeping the conversation going. That definitely was a game changer for me when I first uh, reached out to you guys. Yeah, it's it's really been our pleasure. And uh, <clears throat> I got a bunch of questions, and, and maybe we can just start here. Um, when did you first become interested in, in astronomy? We'll just start there with that general question. When did you first get interested in this? Well, I think what... Um, when I was a teenager, at some point, uh, I was like 15 or 16, I, I thought of the idea of doing something space-related in the future, but that never happened. I never did something about it, so it stayed as a thought back there as an idea. And I kind of forgot about it. And then 
during the pandemic, fast forward to 2020, um, I read about all about the coming Neowise that was going to be a great, this big, great thing in the sky. Um, so I kind of uh, wanted to see it. Uh, so my wife, she gave me, she uh, purchased a pair of binoculars and she gave it to me as a Father's Day present for that year. Uh, it's the 7x50s comments from by Celestron, which are great. They're, they're light. They're, you know, very easy to use. And uh, I tried to see the comet that year. Of course, I didn't. <laughs> but I got the bug. Um, I stayed on top of things. I stayed looking up. I stayed. Uh, I kept using the binoculars. And I found a website that's called binocularsky.org, okay. I think it is, which was very handy for me. It was very useful because it gives you what you actually see in the field of view with your binoculars. So I was, I, when I would look for things in the website, I, I know what to expect when I was using the binoculars on the sky. So with those binoculars, I learned how to start hop. I learned to, you know, identify the constellations. I even saw M13 as a little white fuzzy thing, very little, but I saw it. Um, I was just hooked ever since then. Nice. So I noticed that uh, you mentioned that the comet Neowise really sort of brought that interest back to you. And I know that when I've uh, looked at our statistics for the uh, Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, which is our big astronomy club here in Canada, we always see that big spike around when comets come along. You can see like the membership numbers uh, go up, but it's uh, it's really cool that you've you've stuck with it more than more than that year after. So yeah, that's really neat. And so you, you've got more than binoculars now because we can see you've got a Dobsonian telescope <laughs> behind you. So what instruments, maybe you can tell us what instruments you have now and sort of what a little bit about your progression towards those instruments. Yes, yeah, so right now, actually, that one that you see back here, that's my 8-inch Dobsonian. That's the one that I use the most. Uh, it's got wheels. It's right next to the, just a few steps away is the, the back patio, so let's just roll it and bring it outside, and that's it. Easy, quick. Um, that's my main one. Um, right now, I love that scope. I bought it used from a club member. Um, it's been great. It has a, a dual speed, paper style processor. It has, I put a tail right on it. Um, and uh, that hat that you see on top of the scope, I use it for solar. Because um, I have a solar filter, filter for that scope as well. Uh, but going back to my progression uh, in equipment, uh, right after those 7x50 binoculars, I, as I said, I, I kept using them and I got the bug. So I started looking online, like in, in, in the Facebook marketplace and Offer Up, which is also very active down here. Um, and I found uh, at a trip, in a thrift store, a Celestron Power Seeker, the 70 millimeter one, for $10. So I got it. I jumped on it and I got it. 
it was missing a few pieces. It was missing a diagonal. It was missing eyepieces. It was missing, but the optical tube was fine. The glass was fine. The mount was fine. Um, so I posted it on Facebook in one of the uh, Facebook groups that I'm a member of. And uh, you probably know this person, Red Henry. Yeah, I've he, heard about this. Yeah, with the eyepiece. Lives, yeah. I think he lives up in Virginia. He reached out to me and he said, "You got a, 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 I can help you out. I can send you a diagonal to get started. And I can send you a an eyepiece that I make. And I said, oh, wow, that would be great. And he did. So I got started with those. And uh, I used the scope. That, that scope, I used it a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Uh, people call those scope, the scopes are... Uh, hobby killers but for me it was a hobby booster or you know because i just kept using it every single clear night that i could uh i saw a lot of things with that little thing i don't have it right now i donated it to 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 my astronomy club um and then after that one i got a five inch 130 millimeter uh tabletop dobsonia the one sky by Astronomers Without Borders. Uh, I got that one new uh, during that same year, the pandemic in 2020. And when I got that scope, I could see the difference between the 70 millimeter and this one. This one was was a bigger aperture, uh, was brighter. It was it was it was better. It was a better scope. Right. Uh, I used that one a lot as well. <laughs> So what we're, I'm curious to know if, if you recall, maybe you don't, but with that, that first little scope that you purchased, what were, uh, what was the first thing you looked at or what were some of the first things you looked at? And, and I'm, I'm curious because a lot of the time people will get a scope like that. Like you said, they'll, they'll say it was a hobby killer, but it wasn't for you. So, so what did you end up looking at and what really spurred you on by having that piece of equipment? I remember the first, well, of course the moon. Was a, was one of my first targets that I saw with that one, and then I saw um, I like open clusters, and I found that out with that scope. Uh, I looked at M seven uh, Ptolemy's cluster in Smallview, mm -hmm. uh, which was a very very nice uh, experience for me that first time that I saw. I still remember it. Uh, I looked at it through the trees in the backyard and I, I found a place and I aimed the scope and it was there. It looked like glitter. It was beautiful. And then with that scope, I also looked at M13. Um, I remember it was late at night. It was around maybe one in the morning. And uh, I was out in the backyard moving the scope around because it's easy and light. Uh, and I remember pointing the thing straight up. <laughs> just looking at it and it was it was it was wonderful uh, I even got a shot with my phone uh, and I couldn't believe that I was able to capture that with my phone my backyard with that little thing nice it was still it's an amateur shot but it's still I got it yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah that's great um do you observe mostly in the backyard or does the club have an observing site that you're able to go to uh, that's maybe a little darker <laughs> Uh, yes, yes and no, and yes. I I observe mainly from my backyard. Yeah. But yes, the the club. I'm a member of two clubs. Uh, oh, okay. One up in Weston, which is called the South Florida Amateur uh, 
Amateur Astronomers Association, SFAAA, and then the Southern Cross Amateur Society, which is the Southern Society, which is the, the one that puts up, puts up the, the winter star party mm. down in the Florida Keys. Mm -hmm. So I'm a member of both, and they both have certain sites and like a tag. But uh, I do most of it, I do it from my house, from my backyard, which is uh, Portal 7-ish, I think. Mm -hmm. But when, when it gets dark at, late at night, it gets, it gets when all of the lights are off. It gets it gets real nice. I can see, I can see um, for example, Cygnus, the entire constellation. I can see Gemini, the entire constellation, not just, not just the bright stars. I can see a lot. Wow. Um, I was able to see from my backyard M81 and M82, which I was surprised by that when I did. And yeah, that's I did pretty good. Yeah, I did a sketch of those. Oh, cool. Um, nice. Mm -hmm. How, they that must be with the, with the eight inch. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say they must be lower on the horizon. I'm just, I'm trying to put myself, I've even gone down and down a little bit of uh, binocular observing in, in Florida but I was thinking that they must have been pretty low on the horizon for you. Uh, M81 and, and M82, you mean? Yeah, they must get pretty low. At, at maybe yeah, at certain times yeah. of year, they're low, but... Yeah, yeah, they, they do. Yeah, same with uh, with uh, Scorpio and, and, and uh, M7. And it's like maybe they're, I don't know, 15 degrees, 20 degrees maybe. Yeah, for, for me, M7 is only i think it's six degrees or something or less maybe three <laughs> degrees it's like i gotta there's like one spot i can see it even from like my hilltop with like a perfect horizon you gotta pick a few there's a few good nights a year i can see it and shane's nodding he knows the he knows the situation mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a great that's a great one to see i like that one very much uh, that open cluster yeah it's beautiful it's one of the one of my favorites as well. And, and, uh, as Chris said, it's unfortunate for us that it's kind of fleeting. It's a difficult one, uh, just due to how low it is on the horizon, but whenever I can look at it, I certainly enjoy it. I'm curious, you mentioned being involved in, in the club and, and getting how you were getting started with these, uh, different telescopes, but as, as a newcomer now, I'm curious to know, did you, have you mostly relied on the internet and software or, have you purchased any books or like observing guides or anything like that, uh, Nanu? Uh, yes and yes. Uh, at first, I started. <laughs> I started relying. I started doing a lot of a lot of online research. Um, I I used uh, uh, Astronomy Tools, which is a great tool to to calculate the field of view. I would go online just to search for an object and see it, what it looks like or where it is in the constellation using star chart. But then as I, as, as I kept going and, and reading online and finding, finding things, I, I, I understood the, the reason for using paper at the telescope, you know, to preserve night vision because it's easier to do, because you don't have electronics and all that stuff, you know, in the, in the mix. So I started getting into books. Um, I got turned left at Orion. That was my first one. Um, I think I observed, if not all, almost all of those objects in that book. Um, uh, then I got it's my little library back here. 
Um, then I got Nightwatch, which is a great one. Um, that one also has star charts and sky maps. And it's really helpful. But not only that, it also teaches you the basics of the hobby, like uh, what instruments to use, uh, how to care for them, uh, how you use them, uh, which is pretty, pretty handy. Uh, and then the, my latest one, I find myself using this one a lot. Mm, the Pocket Atlas. Yes. Yeah, great, great it's, book. It's really useful, really handy um, to find things in the sky. Um, what else? I got Burnham Celestial Handbook. I was curious. How do you like that? <laughs> it's very informative. It's it's, it's a three volume uh, book, and it's it's almost overwhelming. <laughs> mm. So much information in there. Yeah, I was kind of curious as as somebody who's who's a writer yourself, a, an editor, as well as somebody who's who's a musician. I feel like there's a lot of interplay um, that you would enjoy in that uh, in that set of books there yeah and and that one is the one that i used to least uh, up until now see what else what else i have i have the backyard summer's guide i think it's the first edition that i have uh, and that's about it but this is the one that i use the most as i said in the, at the telescope and uh and turn left at orion it's also a good companion Nice. So let's see. Shane touched on this briefly, but what, and you mentioned a, a little bit, what do you enjoy viewing um, most out of everything? I, I know you've even taken some images of planets. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your um, astrophotography and your, your lunar shots that you've been kind enough to send us. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. Um, I enjoy looking at the moon. I like looking at... Open clusters are my favorites, mm. and uh, uh, globular clusters are, are also. Uh, I like those very much too. But um, that first year that I that I started with 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 the hobby with the when I got the one thirty millimeter telescope, I started doing uh, imaging with my phone. But I, I started with planetary. So um, I would read up online, you know, techniques and what to do, what not to do, how to do it, where to do it, uh, what software to use. And uh, I was able to, to take a decent shots of, uh, of Jupiter. I was able to do Saturn. I was able to do Mars. Um, and, of course, um, the moon. Mm. All just with your cell phone, eh? Mm -hmm. All just with the cell phone. Yeah. yeah. And then as, as, as time went by, uh, I sort of uh, stopped for, for a little bit, just kept doing visual. And, and then I went back to astrophotography. I got a, I used DSLR um, that I, I started using. I tried to do M42, and I got I got it. I got M42. I did the, the double cluster in Perseus. Um, of course, moonshots, 
or Jupiter shots or Saturn shots. Um, but even though I've, I've done astrophotography and I've done visual and I've done sketching, I think what I enjoy the most is just going out and seeing things, just doing visual astronomy. Yeah, I, I love that. And, you know, your comment about open clusters resonates a little bit with me from when I was uh, early on in the hobby. I love open clusters now. It's one of my favorite things to look at. But when I started with my 8-inch Newtonian, I hated them <laughs> because, <laughs> because I I struggled at that time to discern an open cluster from all of the other stars in the sky that I was looking at. And when I was working through my Messier list, um, I struggled with a number of those open clusters because I would point my telescope where, you know, I thought the object should be, you know, doing my star hopping. And of course there's stars there. Well, is that, you know, the open cluster that I should see, but you know, over time, as I gain more experience, uh, the open clusters really pop now for me and I, I certainly enjoy them, but I think it's great that, uh, that's your favorite object already. Cause it took me a while to get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> for me that happened to me with galaxies actually because uh, ah. I, I it's kind of kind of like a love hate situation because of that same reason because i yeah. tried to i tried to locate them i tried to look at them from my backyard and of course i'm in a suburban light polluted sky so it's very hard mm -hmm. to see them uh so i just gave up on them at least from this location of course mm -hmm. i've done i've gone to dark sides and I've, i i was able to see Last year in the summer, I saw M51 for the first time from a bottle of four oh, location. Nice. Yep. And it was incredible. I mm -hmm. saw this two smudges of light, you know, mm -hmm. it was, it was great. Yeah. Was that through your eight inch? Uh -huh. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. I remember my first time. So uh, very similar to you, uh, I observed almost primarily in my backyard in a suburban light polluted sky. And I had probably observed half of the Messiers from back there, uh, including a number of galaxies. And the one that really stands out was M31. Uh, I still remember the joy of my first observation in the backyard of, this is the first galaxy I've seen through a telescope and it's incredible. And then I went to our club's dark sky site. Um, it's probably around a Bortle 4 as well, maybe, you know, right around that range. And I could not believe the difference in, in how that galaxy presented itself. Mm. All of a sudden it was uh, like exponentially larger and more detail. And I just, I was astonished and, and, uh, I didn't realize actually how much a dark site impacts astronomy until I had that experience. So, uh, I'm glad you've been able to get to some darker sites as well to, to observe some of these galaxies. And, um, have you gotten into, uh, nebulas all that much? Yes, uh, I've seen the Lagoon Nebula from home. Nice. Uh, but, you know, it's just a little fuzzy thing, mm -hmm. but, I, but I've seen it. Um, Trifid Nebula, or Trifid Nebula, not sure how to pronounce that. Yep. Uh, of course, M42. Um, what else, Nebula? I think that's about it. But um, going back to what we, you were saying, um, last month, not last month, in December, I think it was... There's a, there's an astronomy program uh, in one of the one of the uh, parks here down south. It's the location is right in the middle of the state. Well, actually, a little to the more to the west than to the east. But point is, it's away from all cities, mm -hmm. so it's away from light pollution. Mm -hmm. It's a bottle three maybe location, and I went there with my family in December 
to one of those uh, events, one of those programs. It was an outreach event. And I brought the 10-inch. I have a 10-inch Dubsonian too. So we brought that, and I could not believe how bright M42 was from, mm. from that location and how much detail it had. It, it was actually bright. It was, it was this, this whitish cloud. Instead of gray, it was more, more of a white cloud. Yeah. And I could see you know, structure and the lines. And, and same with Andromeda. Andromeda was a big hit that night. People kept, ask, kept asking for Andromeda. So um, same happened with Andromeda. From here, M31 looks like a just like a gray smudge. Mm -hmm. But from there, it's bigger, it's larger, it's brighter, and you could start to see some details, as you mentioned. Yeah. So um, that night, I, I had that that aha moment, like yeah. like wow, yeah, the dark a dark sky really really does make a difference. Yeah, for sure. Are you working through any lists? You've you, you've mentioned a number of Messier objects, um, and that's the list I started with. So I'm just curious if you're if you're dedicating uh, any time to any lists. Uh, not really. I wish I would. I, 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 I was doing it, but not really. I have a an app in my phone. Uh, that's called it's it's called My Messier, uh, which it's a basically a list of all the Messier objects, and it has a little everything that has a check mark. I've seen, but I'm not I'm not really going through it. It's just basically. Uh, I guess I go, I play by ear, as we say. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, whenever I have a, a, an opportunity to go out and, and observe, uh, I just take my pocket sky atlas with me, uh, take the telescope out with me, and I see what's up there. And I do a little pre-planning, and I just take it from there. Yeah, no, that's a great way to do it, too. And um, I, I'm kind of leaning more towards that uh, with my current observing is just, you know, what's well positioned in the sky tonight. And that's what I'm going to look at. And, you know, if it happens to exist on, you know, some lists I'm interested, great. And if not, that's also great. Right, right. Plus my backyard faces west. Mm. Uh, my house blocks the east part of the sky for me. So um, I'm when I'm observing from here, I'm limited to that. <laughs> To that part of the sky, which in turn makes me be uh, like a season late in terms of the, the constellations, because right now I can see Auriga, I can see Gemini, I can see Orion, but winter is already underway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, you kind of have to to adapt with your situation. Like here, mm -hmm. here at home, my house is set up the opposite, so it blocks. Um, I see the east, not not the west as well. So I'm always like a season ahead, almost like when I'm observing at home. Yeah, I get that. But it but it works because to the west we have the Everglades, so there's no light oh. pollution over there. So it, it gets real dark oh, nice. facing that way. So I have to ask: when you observe in the Everglades, like that trip that you were on, did you camp? Did you camp out out there, or is it just like a drive out and back? No, that was a drive out and back thing. Uh, it's maybe a 30, 40 minute drive from oh, home. Oh, not too bad. Yeah. The bad thing is the mosquitoes though. I was going to, I was going to ask about the other, <laughs> the other biting wildlife. Um, like do you have to be concerned about uh, crocodiles or alligators or anything like that? 
No, not crocodiles. Uh, but I've 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 heard comments like look out for panthers, throwing oh. panthers. That sometimes they like roam around and stuff. Uh, but but I haven't seen one yet, so it's not too bad. Mosquitoes are you know something to worry about because they're they're just ah, they get to you and they they don't stop. Mm -hmm. They're like dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we have to use uh, repellent, but the, the strongest one. There's an outdoor, deep woods and outdoors, I think it's called. That one does the trick. That's the only one that works. Mm -hmm. You have to, you know, pretty much bathe yourself in that stuff. Uh, I hate that stuff. <laughs> and out of do the mosquitoes last all night or is it like the dusk and dawn? Like it no, is? it's pretty much dusk and dawn thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Once the, the, it comes to a point maybe around o'clock or seven o'clock i can't remember that they they go away and it, it gets better yeah that's that's what we always notice too is that especially for us we have like a mosquito season particularly like the uh mid to late spring is is super bad and that's the one joy i find or one of the big joys i find in having my cabin is i can set up the telescope and then Mike comes out, sets up his telescope, and then we go inside for like an hour and a half or two hours and let those let those mosquitoes do whatever they want to do. And when we go back out, they're they're usually mostly in bed themselves. So <laughs> well, they don't completely go away here, but they it gets better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it gets better for sure. And just out of curiosity, did you mention or maybe you mentioned it in an email that you took your uh, family out there to did they go along with you to that uh, that dark sky observing site, and how did that work out for them? Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty good. Because uh, uh, let's see, my wife wanted to see the Milky Way for a long time, uh, and even though it was during winter time, she was able to see it. Uh, you know, striking striking through it was Cassiopeia and then Cygnus and that that line. Um, so we got there. Uh, we set up with all, with, where all the telescopes were, and uh, I was surprised that my son, he's 13 now, he started just operating the scope, nice. uh, looking at things, checking out Andromeda. There was this kind gentleman uh, from Naples that he had image stabilizing binoculars, okay. uh, and he let us use them to see Jupiter, and it was, oh. it was, I was amazed. You know, because I'm I'm used to seeing Jupiter with regular binoculars. You know, they shake mm -hmm. with your hands. But with these, it was like all of a sudden you would hit button and then it would, it would do a sound, zoop, and then the image would just stay there. Almost like you put them on a tripod. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. They're wonderful. Yeah, and that night we took. I was. Uh, uh, we took two telescopes. So we. I mentioned that I took my ten inch. And then we took also a one hundred two millimeter refractor that that I have, the Omni uh, one hundred two by Celestron. Yeah. Uh, um, and I was right when when the people started came uh, coming to us. I was with the big dog, and I I started I tried to manage both scopes, but it was just too many people there, I couldn't. So my wife took over the, the refractor and then my son started to help her, which was, it was, it was very cool to see him 
you know, operating the scope. It was a, an equatorial mount. I was surprised. He was, you know, getting things in the field of view, managing the scope, focusing and all that stuff. And I was like, hey, good job. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's awesome. amazing. Yeah. So yeah. do they often join you like in the backyard when you're observing or? Not just... that often, but, no. but yes, they do sometimes. And they would ask questions. And why is this here? Why is that there? What, what happens if I, you know, um, it was, it was great. Um, it's been great. I mean, uh, I think it was December before we went to the holiday trip that I had a night out in the backyard with my daughter. She's 12 now. Um, we looked at the moon, we looked at Jupiter and I showed her also a couple of open clusters and, and she liked it. Um, she would ask questions and, you know, talk about things and it was great. Same, same with my son. Um, there's been a couple of nights that he's been out with me looking at things, asking questions. He likes to see um, M57, the ring nebula. He likes that one. And uh, it's very cute. My the, the little one, she's three now. Um, she actually looks for the moon in the evening. And she goes, hey, puppy, there's the moon. And she shows, <laughs> she, she shows the moon to everyone in the family. Hey, Sammy, there's the moon. Hey, mommy, there's the moon. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I'm really curious. So you're, you're a musician as well. Um, can I ask like, what kind of music do you uh, enjoy playing or is it just yeah, like a variety of music? Well, it's mostly rock music. Okay. Um, I've been playing guitar since I was 11. I'm 41 now, so 30 years. Um, I'm in a, and uh, actually I'm in a cover band. We play all over town from the Florida Keys to West Palm Beach. Okay. Um, so <clears throat> whenever I'm not playing, I'm usually out in the backyard with my telescope. That's how it works for me. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's kind of, uh, it's good actually. Um, I've tried doing YouTube things. Um, I have a YouTube channel that I've tried to, you know, post videos and stuff and see what happens. And uh, I, I have a, I put out some music last year and I use my music for my videos, which I, it's pretty cool. I like it very much. Neat. Yeah. Really neat. I'm wondering though, as, as a musician at the eyepiece, there always seems to be this, this connection between astronomy and music. I know myself, I enjoy listening to a variety of different music when I'm at the telescope. I'm curious to know if that's something that uh, that you do. And, and if you listen to music at the telescope, what, what do you enjoy listening to? Uh, I do sometimes. And I I enjoy listening to just instrumental music, just like kind of like to relax, you know, and nothing, not screaming music, not rock music, not. <laughs> I usually look for acoustic guitar type of thing or, or meditation music even. Mm. Just sounds in the background just to I get into like a zone um just it, it it's sometimes it's like mesmerizing to me looking at all those pretty things in the sky with that type of uh, musical background uh makes my night mm. very cool that's really neat I was wearing I had a couple other some of these may seem a little bit uh I'm related to anything else, but you talked about using uh, the internet, software, books. 
and other learning tools. Um, have you been involved in any astronomy forums? I think you mentioned like Facebook and that sort of thing, but like, are you a Cloudy Nights member or mostly just uh, joining Facebook groups and that sort of thing? No, there's a Facebook group group that uh, it's 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 pretty active, uh, and there's also Cloudy Nights. I'm a Cloudy Nights member too. Uh, actually, um, that 70 millimeter telescope that we talked about in the beginning of the episode, uh, I wrote up, up a review of that scope, and it's it's up in Cloudy Nights. It's published oh. in, in, in Cloudy Nights. Yeah. Um, and I've used Cloudy Nights to to basically just to research things, look for information that I that I need or that I you know I'm interested in. Um, and I've also used the the marketplace that they have to sell and buy eyepieces and stuff. Yeah, very neat, very neat. Yeah, I was I was thinking it's it's interesting. You've uh, kind of dabbled in a lot of different things from, you know, binoculars and visual to, to doing some imaging. Um, I think it's a little bit easier now than it was when we got started, Shane, to kind of traverse <laughs> those different modes of enjoying the night sky to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And, uh, I think there's more resources. And I also think that the quality of some of the gear available has really increased, uh, but the price hasn't in some cases, you know, like you can get some really good eyepieces, um, you know, for probably 50 to a hundred dollars now. And, mm -hmm. and I think Chris, when you and I were really getting into it, you know, there was sort of the plossels that came with your telescope or Naglers, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, it just, there wasn't a lot kind of in between. And, uh, I think that this is a great time to be active in the hobby or even just starting because of all of the access that you have to really good stuff and it doesn't cost an arm and a leg. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And speaking of that, uh, I've learned a lot from you guys from the podcast. Um, oh. Um, Eyepieces and, 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 and gear and, and all that. And uh, I heard, I've heard you guys talk about, talk, talk a lot about uh, Pentax eyepieces and Orthos and, and of course, Teleview. And, and, and I got a Pentax 7 millimeter. XW, I think it is, mm -hmm. uh, from Cloudy Nights. It was used. I got it from Cloudy Nights, and I cannot, I couldn't believe my eyes when I first used that eyepiece on the planets. It was, it's amazing. It's, it's crystal clear. It's, it's got contrast. It's, it's sharp. It's, and the field of view is very generous. Um, mm -hmm. It's a great eyepiece. Yeah. yeah, that's that's one of my favorites as well. It's just so easy to look through, eh? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very nice. And, and with the Newtonians or any undriven scope, it's so nice to have that field of view. So you're not constantly nudge, nudge, nudge. Uh, I do, you know, happen to use a lot of narrower field eyepieces mm -hmm. and sometimes the nudging does frustrate me. And, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I start reaching for the wider fields just for more comfort, more enjoyment that way. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. But yeah, that Pentax XW7, I think that's one of the premier ones in that lineup. Uh, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but that one always seems to get positive reviews. It doesn't seem to matter what telescope or or even the observer. It's just kind of you know renowned as one of the best ones in that set. Yeah, it's awesome. What uh, what other eyepieces have you picked up that you've enjoyed uh, more recently? Well, I have my my personal uh, collection here with me. This is the one the the ones that I use. 
I have, um, now I have to ask because you, you, it looks like you brought something up on your table there, <laughs> though we can't see it. What are you using for an eyepiece case? Uh, this guy. Okay, oh, one of the Orion cases. Cool. Mm -hmm. uh, this actually came with the, with a 10-inch. Oh, okay. Uh, Dubsonia that I got. Um, let me see. Let's see. I have my white field is this one. 68 uh, degree. Oh, nice. 28 millimeter by Explorer Scientific. This is great. I love this eyepiece. Mm -hmm. uh, it's comfortable. It's sharp. Mm -hmm. It's bright. It's great. This is my my finder eyepiece, if you will. And then I have, this is the only one that I've bought new. The Teleview 18.2. Uh, the light. Yeah, this is also nice. great. Very comfortable to use and very sharp. I've, I've read many a review on that eyepiece. If I was going to get one of the delights, I think that would be, I hear it Barlow's amazingly well as well. Mm. Uh, let's see. The next one would be this one I got used from Cloudy Nights. It's a Nagler 12 millimeter, 12 millimeter Type 2. Oh, wow. It's one oh, of the OGs. Is, yeah, those are this awesome. Is big. It's a yeah. tower. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's heavy, but it's great. The, the eye relief is a little tight on this yeah. one, but still, it's a, it's a great one. It's heavy. Next one would be the Pentax. Oh, wow. This is a great this is a great set of eyepieces. Yeah, yeah. You've got some really nice uh, glass yeah. there. Wow. So I have to ask, like, how did you select these? Uh, so you have 28, 18.2, 12, and 7. That That's a really beautiful spread of eyepieces. Was that, did you select those on purpose or it, did it just kind of come together that way? Well, I wanted, to be honest, I wanted the Whitefield one, the finer one. I wanted a 32. Mm -hmm. But this one came along uh, in Cloudy Nights, so I jumped on it. And it's been great so far. Mm -hmm. uh, and then for the 18, I've always... Uh, one of the one of the eyepieces that I got from, from Facebook, from, from Red Henry, it was an 18-millimeter one that he made. And I that was my favorite eyepiece when, when I was starting out. So... It, it resonated with me, the 18.2 from Teleview when I was researching for mm -hmm. Teleview eyepieces online. And then I also wanted a either a 10 or a 12 for, you know, me, medium power for, for the moon and for craters, craters and that stuff. And so the Neger came to me via Cloudy Nights too. And my high power eyepiece, I actually... I forgot to about this one. This was this was my first planetary eyepiece. It's a five millimeter, fifty-eight degree by Astromania. Okay. I think it's a it's a clone of the uh, what's it called? TMB. It's a famous line. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is great, but it's it's narrower. The field of view is it's much narrower. Um, so I was looking for a high power one and, uh, I found the Pentax one on Cloudy Nights too. Nice. Do you use Barlow's as well or just the eyepieces in there? I use Barlow's too, yeah. but not as much. I like to just to swap eyepieces and, and mm -hmm. get the, the most out of each eyepiece. Oh, and this one too. I got this one just to, 
play with it and to see what it's like. This is a famous one, the RKE. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> what, what do you think of that one? It's beautiful. I love it. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. it gets it gets some time, you know, practice to get used to it because of eye placement. Yeah. But once you get it, it's beautiful. It's like this telescope disappears. Yeah. I, I was super intrigued by that one, just reading the reviews on Cloudy Nights of how people say the the 28 millimeter RKE is almost like watching a television. Like, it, it, you know, that you, you don't see the edge of the eyepiece, you just see the image of a planet or whatever you're looking at sort of projected on onto the uh, lens. And I thought, this is strange when I was reading it, but then when I acquired one, I still have it. It's just a super cool eyepiece. There's really nothing like it out there. It, it's so neat to look through. The only the only eyepiece I find that works in a similar fashion is the uh, Explore 17 millimeter 92 degree. It's very similar to that eyepiece I find, oh. mm -hmm. but at 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 a slightly inflated cost. It's expensive. <laughs> cool. Tiny detail, yes. Tiny detail. Let's see, I also have a line of glosses that I put together. Um, I have the 32 millimeter Omni by Celestron. Mm. And then from there, we go to the 20 millimeter uh, GSO. And then a couple more GSO ones, 15 and 9. Yeah, another good spread of focal lengths. Do you uh, do you use the plossels all that often or stick mostly I to do. the wide field? I yeah. do. Actually, I like the 32 millimeter a lot. Okay. It's a, it's a great eyepiece. It's a great wide field yeah. uh, eyepiece. I like that one very much. What brand is that? This one is uh, the Celestron one. Celestron. Okay. Uh, one of the silver ones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Those are supposed to be pretty good. Yeah. And the other ones are, are GSOs. Yeah, I have one of the GSO 32s. It's I really like it. It was uh, I think it was thirty two dollars. Now they're thirty four dollars after all the inflation. So mm. yeah, it's still a pretty good deal. I use it in my finders or when I want to get that maximum uh, one a quarter field of view. Works pretty good. Mm. Works pretty good. Out of curiosity, uh, we're talking about equipment here, and and a little bit about your journey. And uh, I what what would you recommend for a first telescope for people who are getting into astronomy? Would you have a like a solid recommendation that that uh, a newcomer who's never owned a telescope before should consider? What what would you recommend as somebody who's recently gone through this journey? I would recommend my first uh, uh, reflector, which is the the one thirty millimeter mm. tabletop Thomsonian. Okay. It's amazing. It's portable. It's light. It it falls down because it, it's a truss thing. Uh, right. The two it collapses, so it's easy to carry around. It's easy to store, uh, to put away, um, and it's 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 a great little capable scope. It's got decent apertures. So it's five inches. Uh, it's not that great on planets because it's it doesn't have that much of a focal length, but still, it's a great it's a great beginner scope. And then you advance to the uh, eight-inch Dobsonian from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is to me, it's kind of like the sweet spot between portability and aperture. Mm -hmm. Because it fits in the back seat of my car. the The Dobsonian base fits in the trunk, which the ten-inch doesn't. Mm -hmm. uh, the The base of the ten-inch fits in my wife's uh, minivan, 
but not in my car, which is a sedan, a Corolla. Yeah. So that that um, that's something to consider. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, for sure. And do you have any like other general advice for people these days who are uh, getting started in in astronomy? Like, just advice in general for those who are looking to get going. Yeah, well, a couple of a uh, couple of things first. Learn the sky. Mm. Uh, learn, you know, the constellations. Learn what the bright stars are, so you can easily, you know, uh, get uh, locate yourself. You know, find, identify where you are, what things are. Uh, and uh, the way I did it, I think it worked out very well for me. I I started with binoculars, and that taught me a lot about the sky. And then once you get into telescope territory, uh, just find what it is that you enjoy and do it. Because for me, I've tried uh, planetary photography. I've tried deep space photography. I've tried uh, sketching. I've tried uh, visual observing. Uh, and I found that the thing that I like the most is just going out under the stars and seeing things, visual astronomy. Uh, so that's what I do, and it makes me happy. Of course, I enjoy uh, those beautiful images that we see online. They're beautiful. They're incredible photos. They're, they're amazing, and I wish I could do that. But at the same time, no, because I like the simplicity of a Dobsonian. Just get it out to the backyard. Uh, no setup required. Just put it wherever you want and start looking up. Of course, you need to. Uh, allow the, the optics to acclimate to the outside and all that stuff. But still, what I mean is, is no cables, no electronics, no computer screens, no... To me, astronomy is about relaxing. It's about just forgetting about everything else for a, for a moment, for a little bit. Kind of like music. Music's like that for me, too. Mm. When I'm out playing with the band, I forget about the world. Just play. Same here. When I'm out in the backyard, I just, it's me and the stars. Um, and its it's been great so far. Uh, and speaking of uh, allowing optics to, to adjust, uh, that's a comment that I had for you guys. It's, it's, it's funny because to me, I've always heard that you need the telescope or your optics to balance out with the outside air when you bring them out from a warm house, in your case, to a freezing cold in the winter. But to me, it's the opposite. Uh, because it's so hot and humid down here, and we use AC all year round, that I need the, the telescope comes out from a cold house to a warm and humid environment. <laughs> it has to heat up. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so we don't happened? have that problem. Yeah, what what happens? Does do you get um like do you get condensation forming on the mirrors sometimes when that happens? Yeah, okay. Yeah, if I if that happened to me the first year with with the with the tabletop Dalsonian, I would go out and start serving right away because I was excited, and the mirrors would get fogged up. Mm -hmm. And I said, "Hey, what's happening?" And I started researching, you know, looking into things. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have, I've never really had that trouble because if it's if it is warmer outside than in my house, usually not. Usually it's about that temperature in the evening, so usually it's not going to be a problem for for astronomy. And when it is like that here, typically it's very dry 
so we're not getting anything like that. So <laughs> yeah. that's amazing. I'm curious yeah. though, uh, what are, what are your future plans for your astronomy journey? Where uh, where are you thinking of going from here? Uh, well, uh, I want to try planetary photography a little more uh, uh, with a little more uh, dedication, I guess, because my wife uh, gave me a planetary camera oh. uh, for Christmas. But uh, I'm debating for what what I just said. It's I like the, simpli the simplicity of my setup right now. Mm -hmm. And using that means that I have to bring up the laptop and cables and all that. And I'm sure that I when I get to it, I, I'll enjoy it and I'll and I'll do it. Um, but for now, I think it's just it's just um, keep using what I'm keep doing keep doing what I'm doing. Just going out to the backyard and. and and see things. I wanted to what that that astronomy program that I mentioned um, earlier that we went to the dark site. Uh, they have it's an actually an astronomy program that it's once a month for four or five months during the winter. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping this one was canceled in January because because of the weather. But I'm hoping that we will be able to go again in February and again in March. Um, so that's my goal for the short term. Nice. And for the long term, it's just keep keep learning about the sky and seeing things um, with my eight inch that, nice. that's behind me. <laughs> nice, very good. Well, was there anything that uh, that you wanted to mention or cover before we uh, start to conclude? No, not not really. Well, that that comment that I just made about the about the the, the temperature difference between indoors and outdoors and uh a funny thing to me that i wanted to mention is that it's 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 funny that it's not funny it's, it's what the word that i'm looking for interesting how things change from mm -hmm. one location to another because mm -hmm. i can i usually go out into astronomy wearing my flip-flops <laughs> <laughs> and wow. uh and you guys it's like it's minus a thousand degrees outside. It's, <laughs> that's crazy to me. But again, it's my respect to you guys because when we would, we were in, uh, we went to Spain for the oh. holidays to visit my wife's family. And uh, I took a, a little telescope that I have. Um, it's a little Mac. It's like this big. Okay. Um, and uh, there was one night that I tried using it to look at Jupiter and and it was it was cold. I mean at least for me. And 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 I thought of and I I, I actually did. I, I got to Jupiter, I, I put it in the field of view and, and I observed it for a little bit, but then the cold just made me go in after maybe ten minutes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I remember what you guys said that usually when you go out you dress like what's like 10 degrees more than than what it actually is outside at the moment like if it's minus five you dress for minus 15 yeah something like that yeah that made sense to me that night <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly because we see that a lot in the summer when we go and do astronomy and it's really warm during the day in the grasslands and then people come out to join us at night 
And some people will still be wearing t-shirts and we're like, oh no, because it's fine if you're out hiking in the sun at 20 or 25 degrees, as you know, but in the dark, even at 20 degrees, there's no sun on you and you're standing mm-hmm. still, you start to get chilly, you know, you need at least a sweater, you know, if not uh, a light jacket too, even at warm temperatures. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good point. <laughs> Very cool. Did you have anything to add, uh, Shane, before we start to conclude here? No, just thanks, Alejandro. This was a great conversation. Thank you for coming on to the show and uh, uh, just sharing your your beginner or your your stories about kind of the entry into astronomy. This this was fascinating for me, and uh, you know I think a lot of listeners will appreciate it too. So thank you. Oh, thank you, thank you, guys. And I wanted to say uh, real quick, thank you for what you do with the podcast because. When I started back in 2020, I was looking for information online. I was looking for podcasts or, or YouTube video, YouTube channels. But most of the podcasts and, and, and YouTube channels talk about the science and, and it's, it's or, or, or the latest news in astronomy or, or the science behind it, which is, it's, it's also good. Mm-hmm. But I wanted something that I found in your podcast that's like, what is it like to go out in my backyard with my equipment to use exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, and it's been great. <laughs> so thank you for what you do. Yeah. And, and thank you for writing in and, and for listening and for all the other listeners who, who do that as well. Uh, Shane and I are both big fans of podcasts, but that was the thing that, that we were looking for. And finally we decided, well, we can't sit around waiting any longer for somebody else to make it. We're going to do it. And then it's been fantastic that we hear from listeners like you and all kinds of different people. I was reading emails this morning from somebody in Australia and another person over in Quebec. And, you know, it's really cool just to talk to all these people all over the place and to, uh, yeah. And, and to be able to learn about what all of you are doing. It's really, really fascinating. (laughs) Well, yeah. I'm just going to do our concluding message and then we will be done. So for the listeners out there, please subscribe and share the show with other stargazers, you know, and send us your show ideas, observations, and questions to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you everyone for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>